0: So I thought it'd be a good time as we start a new year to look at uh, where we've been in the book of Genesis. And I, I, I hate to put the word up there theology because I know that that turns some people off. Uh, really, I just want to talk about the main points that we've covered in the last 19 chapters. I don't even know if I'm going to continue with Genesis. I, I'm going to have to just pray about that. Uh, I have scheduled uh, Billy Jones to come in next Sunday, and I know you'll enjoy listening to him speak. Uh, I'm assuming I'll get the infusion tomorrow. I'm assuming that my count will be up to where I can. If 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 the uh, if the infusion can't go on for a week. I'll probably be here next Sunday and try, attempt to put Billy off for another Sunday. So we'll just have to wait and see how that pans out. But we'll, I'm going to pray about whether we should continue in Genesis. But for now, I just want to look at the first 19 chapters. I know it says six, but that was, uh, uh, that was uh, what do you call it, uh, wishful thinking. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, I know many people don't accept this basic truth that God is the creator and starter of all of this. But I know most of you here in this room do believe that. Uh, although many don't accept it, I do know this, that Jesus believed it. He accepted it. I don't know if you could say it. Believed it himself. I don't think he had to believe it. I mean, in all seriousness, the Bible tells us that he was the creator of God. So he didn't have to believe it. He knew it, you know. And, and you know, he taught it. He taught that creation was a work of God. And if he is wrong about that, Believe me, we have much bigger problems in life than uh, creationism versus evolution. Uh, Because if Jesus didn't know he had created the world, we're in big trouble. Uh, But we're not in trouble because to me, I mean, I did not believe the Bible in the beginning either. I, I was raised to believe it was a collection of fables and myths. But once Jesus Christ came into my heart and my heart changed, and once I was born again, then I knew that what he believed had to be the truth because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the God of the universe. And Jesus said here, but from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. This isn't some uh, 5 5 billion year or 10 billion year evolution we're talking about. Man and woman were created from the beginning for the purpose of marriage and marriage. And, uh, Procreation. Notice in this verse, Adam and Eve existed from the beginning. You know, the Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, He started with His creation. Adam and Eve came along, what, six days later, five days later? He also said, For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation. Jesus clearly believed in the creation. Which God created unto this time, neither shall there be. Now these he's really talking about an entirely different subject. But the point is that the problems of our world, the problems of mankind began at the shortly after the creation, as the Bible teaches. Again, not billions of years later. Uh, man's suffering started very near the beginning, you know. Luke eleven fifty, that the blood of all the prophets and I, I, I underline the prophets. The yellow highlight is mine. There's no yellow print Bible. It's, it shows up well on a black screen. Well, it does show up well on a black screen. If I did red, you'd, I'd confuse you, so I'm doing yellow. The prophets. It's not just the law. Now, we're going to get into the law and the prophets. It's not just the law. It's the prophets, all right? That means the whole Bible, all right? So that the blood of all the prophets which were from the beginning. He's not, Jesus is not teaching here the, the uh, authority of scriptures uh, directly. He's teaching it indirectly. I'm using it for my own purposes to indirectly show that Jesus taught these truths that you could trust the Bible. That the, that the blood of all the prophets which were shed from the foundation of the world from the foundation of the world not, not billions of years after the foundation of the world but from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zacharias the blood of Abel at the foundation the blood of Zacharias people that knew Zacharias as Jesus was telling this story all right. Jesus placed Abel very close to the beginning of the creation Jesus was a young earth Creationist. He was actually the creator. You know. Uh. Well, moving on to Genesis, God said, "Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth." Man did not ascend through evolution to the primary position. God was cre- God created man in that position it isn't that we just happen to have a bigger cerebral cortex than other critters god placed us here for that very same purpose it is part of the creative act of god so god created man in his own image and the image of god created him created he him male and female created he them there's a sermon in that i'm going to skip it all right some say that the image of god is physical in some way we may physically look like God. You know, we often think when we see these, uh, what do they call, Christophanies, theophanies, times where God takes on human form, we often assume that he's taking on human form so he doesn't freak us out. But we don't really know what form God exists in. So there are those who would argue that God in some way physically looks like us. I'm not going to argue that point. I don't know. You know, I know God dwells in the light that no man can see, so nobody's really seen him, so we really don't know what his existence looks like. But there are those that would argue that in the image of God does mean uh, there is some physical likeness between himself and us. Others will argue, no, this is a moral sense, that unlike the animals, we can comprehend right versus wrong. So God created us with a moral sense that we know things that are right and things that are wrong. We'll get into that in a little bit. Others say, no, he created us in a spiritual sense. He created us in a spiritual sense in that although we inhabit a physical body, our spirits are designed like God to be eternal. I believe that. You know, I I don't think I could argue the other two points too effectively, but I can tell you that I do believe God created our spirits eternally. And there is no such thing as death. I mean, you're either going to live in heaven... We're either going to live in heaven or we're going to live in hell. There's not going to be any, any, any non-existence. There's not going to be any oblivion for, for people. We're, we're like software. We, we exist with or without the hardware, and I believe that. So whether you accept the physical, moral, or spiritual, or I lean in the direction of probably all of them are in some way true or another, I don't know. It would be interesting. To, I mean, that's what I believe. I, I just don't know, you know. Now when we end up with chapter 1, we see that God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. Theologically, that says a lot because we know the fall has not happened yet. Satan has not rebelled yet. There is no sin in the world. Therefore, everything is very good. Now this is important because, you know, you, one of your children die or in my case you get cancer or, or somebody gets hit by a truck and you think, why would God allow this? Why did this happen? God didn't create it that way. Genesis chapter 1 teaches that point. God did not make the world flawed. He made it perfect. It was good. It was very good. It was very good. When God finished His act of creation, it was good. So if you want to blame somebody, you can't blame God. Oh, Adam's going to blame God in a few minutes, but we're we're going to skip that for now. He shouldn't have blamed God. You know, he's going to blame his wife. He's going to blame God. He's going to blame everybody but himself. And that type of narcissism started with Adam. It wasn't there at the end of chapter one, see. So you get to chapter two, and there's only one thing that's not good. uh, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. It says, this is a world God designed. Work is required. He, 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 He doesn't see any need for a lazy man sitting around living for himself, living alone, gathering money, and living for himself. That's not what God planned for humanity you see. In this world, God designed us to work right from the get-go. We were never meant to sit around doing nothing. We're expected to work in our families, in our communities, in our countries. We're supposed to, did I have it on there? Yeah, to dress it and to keep it, the Bible says. Dress it. The word dress it means to serve for the benefit. Serve for the benefit. Serve for a benefit. Whether you're benefiting the garden, you're benefiting other gardeners you're benefiting the people that are going to eat from the garden you're benefiting the whole world i think it's for the benefit of the whole world we're supposed to work for the benefit of the whole world and the word keep it there means to guard to keep in in sense in the sense of keeping it safe to protect it or to keep it to save it to to protect it from itself if you will so you have to dress it and keep it that's our role in life whether you're a carpenter See, or you're a gardener, or you're a farmer. This is your job. You want to serve for the benefit of others, and you want to guard, keep, and protect. That's what we're charged here with, by the Creator, and that's why we were made, you see. There was only one commandment in those days. You didn't have to worry about ten. You know, I, I saw a Facebook post, and I don't know who posted, but it said, you know, there are like, you know, 4,500 laws on the books, and we can't keep any of them. And until we can keep the first 10, uh, unless we can keep the first 10, we'll never be able to keep all the laws that are on the law books. It, it's interesting to me that anytime they sit down to try to, my lawyers, I mean, you know, politicians sit down to try to make a change, they just keep making new laws. They don't ever think about subtracting anything. They just keep adding laws on. You no, know, I, I don't know if anyone brings up the point. That uh, we're not keeping the ones you got on the books. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure somebody mentions it to them. You know, I remember one time we were sitting in a meeting and, uh, and we were talking about a kid who had 135 IQ, but he couldn't read. So they were talking about, all the teachers were trying to figure out how to help this kid, and one was going to get a reader for him, one was going to get a writer for him, one was going to get a a, a program on the computer that would help interpret and read for him and write for him so he could talk and it would write and he could listen and and that would be fine. And they came to me and said, what do you think? I said, I think we should teach him to read. He's smarter than I am. You know, I think, why don't we just teach him to read? And they act like, oh, you... It's like, why don't we just do what we're supposed to do and stop trying to add stuff? You know, and that's, that's what we seem to always be doing. One rule. One rule. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not have eaten, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. It wasn't poison fruit. It was disobedience that killed him. One commandment. Couldn't even keep that one. The ten, we didn't have a chance with Ten but we learn in this that in this world that God has created this, this is God's world he's the creator he's the owner he's the possessor of earth and in this world there are some things we cannot do alright if we're going to please God and there are some things we should not do So, the, the, no is an acceptable answer from God that's the point see we think it's wrong to say no to people no is an acceptable response. God said don't. No. Don't touch that tree. You know. Now we know it was hadn't had, didn't have anything to do with fruit. We don't know what kind of fruit it was, but we knew it had to do with a spirit of disobedience that decided to do his own will above God's will when he rebelled against that. Eve, yes, Eve was tempted. It wasn't called Eve's sin. It was called it is called Adam's sin. Adam sinned willfully, knowing God told him not to do it. He said, my will is more important than God's will. Now, they make all, you can make all kinds of arguments that he'd rather be with his wife than he would God and on and on and on. And in a way that people see in Adam a type of Christ who is willing to die for his bride. And, you know, that, that may be true and it makes good preaching, but the fact is he was wrong. You know, I, I'm like Chuck Missler. Chuck Missler said, Adam said to his wife, boy, are you in trouble? You know. yeah, I don't want that thing. You're in trouble, girl. You know, God, help. You know, that's what he should have done, but he didn't. Anyway, let's go on. And the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helpmeet for him. Meet appropriate, a helper that is suitable or appropriate to him. Uh, the point is God made us in pairs, male, male and female. And he intends that for the best condition of mankind and womankind is a permanent relationship in marriage. And that's how that next chapter is going to end. Jesus, again, confirms this in the New Testament. From the beginning of the, again, he's teaching something entirely different, but that's beside the point. We're using the foundation of what he's teaching to argue points all the way back in the Old Testament. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. You become a new unit, a new family. You, 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 You break away from the old family and you become a new unit. And the twain shall become one flesh, so there are no more two but one. Wherefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now we're all the way up to chapter three, and you see my problem already, don't you? You know, nineteen chapters ain't going to get done. <laughs> Can't happen. So we have Satan, of course. Uh, we don't know anything about the fall, why he fell. I mean, we, we speculate from Isaiah. That's not the point today. We have this, this, this. ...evil being inhabiting a serpent. And the serpent was more subtle, uh, slippery, nasty, tricky... ...than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And we see that the first attack Satan launches on the woman, this unsuspecting woman is to question God's Word. She had no idea she should question God's Word. It never crossed her mind that God would say something wrong. Uh, Oh, that we were all like that, huh? Uh, But Satan's tactics haven't changed at all in all these centuries. It's the same thing. I don't care where you go. If you have somebody doubting, they're going to question the Word of God. That's where they're going to start every time. You know, I remember a Dr. Beeman one time saying that it doesn't matter in the Bible where you pick out, pick any spot, you deny that spot. You say, that's not, that's not God's word. Anytime you do it, you always end up denying the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, I mean, the argument is pretty simple. Jesus believed it. If Jesus believed it, then he's wrong. He's not God. If Jesus is God and he believed it, then it's true. I mean, it's, 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 it's an impossible argument to defeat. If he is the creator God of the universe, he is not wrong. But it doesn't matter where you start in the Bible. In this case, we started in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say that? You know, now, Eve apparently heard it from her husband and not directly from God. We don't know that. You know, We were often told that these are just fables. I was taught that. Tribal stories, a mishmash of stories that people hobnob together, and there's all types of inconsistencies and incongruences in it. You know, It's interesting to take someone like that and ask them to point out a few because it's almost impossible to find an inconsistency in the Bible. And this is this passage from Jesus in Matthew, think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. The prophets include the rest of the Bible. See, there are three sections, you know, you got the law, you got the prophets, and you got the histories. Jesus is saying that the entire Bible is trustworthy. I'm not come to destroy but to, to fulfill. He was being he was actually charged over and over with breaking the law. He never broke the law. He fulfilled the law. For verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle and they're just little uh emphases I'd say punctuation points but they're not really punctuation it's more like the dot on an eye uh, a jot or a tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled next Satan slanders God's motive for these rules and the serpent said unto the woman you shall not surely die you know the first thing you do when you're tempted to sin is you think well did God really say that you know and then the second question is why is God keeping this good thing from me we do this all the time you know whenever we're slipping into sin we always go through the same logic which is amazing we should know better than this but we don't for God knows that in the day you eat there then your eyes shall be open you shall be as God's knowing good from evil He's, he's impugning the motives of God by saying God is trying to keep you from being your best self go ahead and indulge in that sin it'll make you a better person Go ahead and indulge in that sin. It'll enhance your married life to take on, you know, a girlfriend with your wife. Go ahead and do these things that are forbidden and it'll make you a better person. And you believe that lie until such a time as you're so entrapped in it you can't get out of it. God is always telling us God is keeping something good from us. Something to be desired. Something to make me like God. It's amazing how many people want to be like God. His lies never change because they still work. He doesn't need to change his approach. We're all so stupid we can't learn from the Bible. Enough money, enough success, enough power. If I can get just enough power, enough money in my bank account, if I can just get the right job, then I'll be in control. I'll be able to make the decisions. I'll be my own boss. I'll be able to do my own thing. I'll fill up my barn with goods. It'll be full, and I'll have need of nothing. And Jesus said, Thou fool, this day thy life shall be required of thee. We're not in control, even though we think we're in control. We think when we have it all, we'll be like God's little g, but we never will be. The trick is always the same. The woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, desired to make one wise. We do this all the time. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband and he did eat with her. Always the same attack. Always on the same three fronts. For all. This is in the New Testament, 1 John. For all that is in the world, the desires and lust is a strong word. But from the Old Testament, I mean from the King James Version, uh, it's appropriate. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Of the world you see that motorcycle and you think oh that's beautiful I'll look so good riding down the road on that thing people will think I'm so cool it's going to be so great and splat right into a bus you know. and the world is passing away and the lust the desires thereof but he that does the will of God he abides forever so as you know in chapter 3 they took of the fruit they both rebelled the eyes of them both were open. they knew that they were naked how did they know that how did they not know that for crying out loud how did they not know that Ye gads, I don't have any clothes on. What happened? Well, they never had an evil thought in their lives. They just didn't think about stuff like that. That's just the way things were. Then all of a sudden, they started having evil motives in their mind. They were corrupted. And they started to see how uncovered they were. And they sewed fecal leaves together. See, they weren't just hiding from God. They were hiding from each other. Sin separates men from men. Mankind from mankind. Men from women. It separates us. Sin breaks us apart. They made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam hid and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Imagine that. They should have run to him. From daily walks with the creator to hiding from each other. And worse now hiding from the creator. You can't blame God. We must not blame God for what's wrong with our world. It was good until Adam and Eve got involved. Now because Adam sinned, it's wholly evil. Now I love this. Adam blames God for making him naked. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He didn't think that answer through very well, did he? You know. He's saying, you didn't give me any clothes. You should have given me some clothes, God. And the man said, The woman that thou gavest to me that's my favorite phrase. Anything goes wrong, it's Linda's fault. You know. She gave me of the tree and I did eat. Yeah. yeah. That didn't work either, you know. Every day now, Adam, from going forward, every day we, you and I going forward, blame God and blame our wives. Or our wives blame God and blame our husbands. You know. And if you're not married, blame your dog. Get a parakeet, blame the parakeet. We're going to blame something. We're not going to take the blame ourselves. From now on, we have someone we can blame. But that's not godly. It's not, it's not the right way to do it. Now, hidden in this, of course, what did I do? Get out of place here? What did I do here? I thought I'd check this. I'm on 19. Oh, yeah, I'm all right. I just got ahead of myself. I knew Adam, God said, because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, and dust thou art, and that dust shalt thou return. Every day of his life, now Adam can blame both God and the woman for what happened, but it's not her fault. You can go right back here to the verse before it. Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Now, I've often in the past made a big deal out of for thy sake. If God hadn't made life hard, If he'd have left life easy for us, we'd have all set ourselves up little kingdoms and we'd have been little gods in our own little kingdoms, and we would have sin would have just completely overtaken us. We wouldn't have had to rely on God. I mean, when something goes wrong now, we pray, don't we? You get sick, we pray. Something breaks, you pray. Can't find a tool, we pray. That's the advantage of the hardship of life. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. We don't often see it that way. You know, in sorrow, intense labor, actually, to help thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles. Can't find that wrench? That's a thorn or a thistle. Shall it bring forth to thee and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In other words, these trees aren't going to produce an abundance for you like they did before. In the sweat of your face, God wanted us to work. Now we're going to work hard. You'll eat bread until you return into the ground. And even that is a blessing, really, because we don't want to live eternally in sin. See, by dying and shedding off this broken body, our spirits can now be reunited with God and we can get a new body, one that's not affected with sin. Every one of these quote-unquote curses are actually blessings. They're they're actions to counter the result of sin in our lives. It's hard to see it as a blessing sometimes, but they're all blessings. Well, I'm completely lost here. Hidden in the curse of the serpent is this promise. I'm backing up, all right, because I wanted to put it later. Uh, and I will put enmity, state of warfare, between you, that's the serpent and the woman. He's speaking to the serpent now. Between thy seed, your offspring, and her seed, her offspring. It, now we're talking about a seed singular, a seed singular, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, Actually, the word bruise could mean to crush. It shall crush thy head. The seed of the woman will crush, destroy, utterly destroy the serpent. But you will bruise his heel. You'll crush his heel first. I've heard people allude to the nails driven in Jesus' feet. The point is, however, you know, that they actually drove those nails into his ankle bones. And and certainly that hammer didn't do much good to his ankles. And you really see a literal fulfillment of prophecy here. Uh, The fulfillment of the crushing of the serpent's head has not happened yet. Uh, But the seed of woman, this is the promise, that the seed of the woman will overcome the seed of the serpent. I was hoping I could go through this quickly because I have a lot of scripture here. In the midst of all this uh, that is wrong, salvation is offered. And Adam heard it. You know, (laughs) He didn't hear God say, don't eat of that bush, you know, that tree, stay away from that tree. He didn't hear that. But he managed to hear the promise, tucked down in the curse of the serpent, that the seed of the woman would overcome. That promise is the basis for him naming his wife Eve, which means the mother of life, the beginner of life. I mean, really, you could have named her death, right? This is my wife death. She's the one that's killed all of us. You know, that'd go over big in a party. Uh, but he named her Eve because he believed the promise because she was the mother of all living. And Adam also and his wife. All, all very just brief statements in Genesis chapter 3 have profound theological influence in our lives. And we can trace every one of these through the entire Bible. It's a fascinating study uh, to follow this through. And unto Adam and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins. Now where did he get the skins? Well, he killed a couple of animals to get those skins. And he showed them the issues of blood atonement. And he sacrificed these animals to show what death is, but not just to show what death is, but it was a substitutionary death. Then instead of killing them physically, he killed the animals physically. He hung them up, skinned the skins off of them, scraped them down. It's a nasty job. But created clothing for them. And here's the creator God of the universe who could have just blinked an Armani suit into existence for these people, chose instead to do it what is incredibly a bloody, disgusting, hard way. But the purpose was to teach them the seriousness of sin, the pain that sin causes, the blood that atonement requires, and what it takes to have a covering. In time, we're going to talk about the covering that Jesus provides for us through his own death on the cross, see, But this covering was symbolic of what was to come. And from this time on, and I'll read that right at the end here. And this time on, all believers will sacrifice animals, believing in the substitutionary atonement of the blood of that animal, putting off God's punishment for them. Not to mention providing a warm coat. See, now that Jesus has come, some of this Old Testament practices are fulfilled i didn't come jesus said to destroy the law but to fulfill it he is the fulfillment of all those 10 old testament requirements and he john writes in 1 john is the propitiation big word just means sin payment he is our sin payment he's you know in the writer of hebrews will say he's the the presence of the holy spirit in our life is a down payment it's true. We have a down payment of our eternal lives in the form of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But Jesus is the propitiation. He's the sin payment for our sins. You know, he's, he's the one that paid for our sins. And now we don't need to offer bulls and goats or if you're poor, you're allowed to wring the neck of a poor little pigeon, you know. We don't have to do that. We don't have to wring pigeons' necks any longer because Jesus died for us. So while they in the Old Testament look forward, we're in Genesis chapter three. We're only three chapters into the book, and we already have blood atonement, substitutionary death, and a covering for our sins, expiation. It's really an amazing book, the Book of Genesis. Is it not? Now, of course, you know the story. Cain rejected God's plan. He thought his works were good enough. I've often talked about my uncle. I hope he came around in the end. I, I tried to share the plan of salvation. He was dying of prostate cancer. And I tried to, tried to explain the plan of, plan of salvation. I talked about how Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. And by simply confessing our sins and asking him to forgive us and receiving him, you could be saved. And his response, and I know I've told you this a hundred times, it's just so lost of him. Oh, Bobby, I've lived a good life. I've been faithful to my wife, paid the bills, provided a house for my family. My fruit is good enough, Cain said. I don't need some stupid lamb. My brother raises lambs I know and I raise fruit and that's good enough. I'm a farmer, that's all I need to do. I can do it my own way. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, that was a sacrifice. And of the fat thereof, that was burned on the altar. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. We don't know what the indication was. But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, angry, and his countenance fell. While refusing to admit his own sin or even bring a blood offering as required, Cain believed his vegetables were good enough. So in a jealous rage, you know the story. Cain kills Abel, goes off, driven off, actually, takes one of his sisters with him creates a whole new world of sinners later to become dire enemies of the people of God and are still the enemies of the people of God. The, the unbeliever is still resentful of the believer and is still very much angry and still in a rage that their works aren't good enough and are in a rage. You know, the, the, the funny thing is that, you know, you talk to people in the school and they say, oh, you're one of those goody-two-shoes Christians— and we respond and say, no, 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 you got it wrong. I just know I'm a sinner and need a Savior. You don't. You know, that's the response. You know, I, I know that I've fallen. But they don't see it that way. You, know, you think you're so good, you know, you're so wonderful. You know, you're a good Christian. I mean, Bill used to say that to me all the time. You're a good Christian, you know. And I would always say there is none good. No, not one. You know, there are no good Christians. There's no such thing as a good Christian. It's an impossibility, oxymoron well we get all the way up to Genesis chapter 6 skipping you know the good stuff and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually boy is that a description of today or not and it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart and the Lord said I will destroy the man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and creeping things and the fowls of the air for it repented me that I have made them. you got to love that passage. People say God's not going to judge the world. There's, there's no judgment coming in the future. Every, everything in this book sets a legal precedent for God's actions in the future. And that's why this book of Genesis is so important. It's the foundation of all our faith, you know. God here is declaring the right to destroy mankind because of their evil. And not only does he claim it, he does it. You know, I know people say, well, there isn't enough water to cover the earth. There isn't enough water to cover all the continents. Well, there's, there's not that we're aware of, at least we used to be aware of, you know. And you read in Psalms where, you know, he, after the flood, he brought the continents back up higher And he took the seas deeper. But more than that, there's enormous amounts of water still stored within the earth that science has now recently discovered. There's enough water on the earth to flood the earth again, even with the Himalayas. He could put it all underwater. People say it can't be done, but you climb up there. Not that I have. But you climb up into a mountain as high as you can climb, and that's about 400 feet for me. You find fossils up there. Doesn't matter how high you go, there's fossils up there. So at one point, there were fish swimming there, folks. You can't have fish fossils if you don't have fish. Unless, of course, you know, God thrust the mountains up higher, which the Bible indicates he may have done. Well, God washed the world clean, started over with Noah. Noah finally gets off that boat. He's been on there, I don't know, it was almost a year, wasn't it? How many days? 300 and 300 some days he was on that ark. Finally lands, gets out of the boat, unloads, goes down to the bottom of the mountain that he landed on, and Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took every clean beast and every clean fowl and offered a burnt offering. I'm telling you that from the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, and sin started in chapter 3, and the solution to sin was taught in chapter 3 by God himself. And from that point on, believers built altars and offered animals in payment for their sin been going on all along people say well that didn't start until the law no not true it was encapsulated in the law but the fact is it started way back in the beginning with uh, adam and eve and abel and the lord smelled a sweet savor and the lord said in his heart i will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth there's none good no not one paul tells us all have gone astray For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, cold, and heat. While the earth remains. There's going to come a time where it doesn't remain. But While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, cold, and heat. Summer and winter and day and night shall not cease.